Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hey, everyone. I'm David Chalian, the CNN political director. This is the Daily DC Impeachment Watch. Every weeknight, we've got you covered with up-to-the-minute reporting and analysis into this historic and fast-moving impeachment inquiry. In a few minutes, I will be talking to fact-checker extraordinaire Daniel Dale. But first, I'm joined by former communications director for Ted Cruz and current CNN political analyst Amanda Carpenter. Welcome back to the podcast. Hey, thank you. Amanda, thank you for being here. Just a quick update for our listeners before we get started. Uh, Just as we're sitting down to record this podcast today, uh, Adam Schiff, House Democrats release the Bill Taylor testimony, former ambassador to Ukraine. You remember his sort of bombshell of an opening statement that was released. Now we have the full transcript. We're just starting to dig into it. We will do a deeper dive into the Taylor transcript tomorrow on the podcast. But some quick initial highlights I see here. Uh, He has a lot to talk about uh, what he thought Rudy Giuliani was up to. Uh, He also clearly starts talking about getting hip to the notion of a potential quid pro quo going on as early as June in 2019. There will be a lot uh, to sink our teeth into in the Taylor testimony. Now, Amanda, I want you to hear Adam Schiff make some news this morning, the Democratic chairman of the House Intel Committee, who's sort of running this whole impeachment process. It's about to blow wide open into the public sphere next week. This is Adam Schiff uh, announcing how he expects this to go forward next week. Uh, So those open hearings will be an opportunity for the American people to evaluate the witnesses for themselves, to make their own determinations about the credibility of the witnesses, but also to learn firsthand about the facts of the president's misconduct. Amanda, I have been um, anybody listening to this podcast could hear my skepticism that the politics of this are really movable at this point. I think it's rather locked in. I don't want to assume foregone conclusion. Things are dynamic. But I I do wonder what you think the potential impact here is of public hearings. Do you think there is an opportunity to sort of really move the American public or therefore members of Congress on their thinking on where they stand in this impeachment matter? I think there's potential there, but there needs to be a lot more public education. I feel like the Democrats have too often put these witnesses out without a lot of background and narrative storytelling that, you know, Republicans and conservative media are really good at. Adam Schiff, if you just listen to that sound, it seems like he thinks, well, if we just throw these people out there, everybody will have time off in the middle of the day to watch 10 hours of this and make their own conclusion. No, that is not the case. Um, We had the Comey hearings. We had the Peter Strzok hearings. We had Michael Cohen. I mean, it goes on and on. We've had a lot of hearings. And now these are brand new characters that are being introduced into the story. It is very difficult to track. So while I do think there is potential, people need to be on the airwaves explaining who Bill Taylor is. Who is this ambassador that got recalled? These are people that the public is not, they're not familiar with these people. 
And, and you can't just throw them on TV in the middle of the day and expect people to understand the importance. Right. And we're not in the media environment of the Nixon era. Yes. Right. I mean, that's the other thing is that uh, I don't think uh, anybody would be expected to be able to tune in and watch John Dean for hours and hours either at the time. But there were three evening newscasts that the whole country was watching. And so it was going to seep in. Mm-hmm. In our very fragmented media environment, that's not the case here. Yes. And I, I am concerned about the storytelling aspect. That's very important. As someone who tracks this constantly, it's difficult to figure out what exactly happened here. If you listen to the Trump side, this has all just been a deep state campaign since Donald Trump was inaugurated. Well, what's going on here? Is it a quid pro quo? What's that? Is it extortion? It's actually bigger than that. There was a big internal campaign to get Ukraine to do Donald Trump's dirty work in an election. But I haven't seen a Democrat make that clean-cut argument that's essentially, he's trying to cheat to win. We've seen this movie before. That's actually the illegality part, right? I mean, that's the potential illegal activity. Mm -hmm. And even when we talk about how Donald Trump was trying to get an investigation into the Bidens, I mean, that sounds a little more in the up and up and how this goes down. Um, I remember the Republican primary when the National Enquirer was suggesting that Ted Cruz's father killed uh, JFK. I mean, they're they're not looking for real solid evidence of corruption. They're saying, come up with a grainy picture of Hunter Biden doing something sketchy, you know, and we never get to that part. So this is where I think the Democrats need to do a much better job explaining in a clear way what was actually going on rather than just getting caught up into, oh, we have this very credible whistleblower um, and you have to believe him and read this 300 pages of testimony. That's just not going to happen. I want you to hear... Mark Meadows, the Republican congressman from North Carolina today, big defender of the president, obviously. You had mentioned before they've been treating this for three years like everything is a deep state conspiracy against the president. Listening to Meadows today, it was as if he was in an alternate universe. Take a listen. Is it getting more difficult to defend this president as more of these testimonies come out? Actually, as we hear more testimony, in fact, the testimony that we're hearing today, it's actually getting easier to defend the president from a standpoint there is no linkage between aid. In fact, what we're hearing today is this is part of a broader analysis of foreign aid in general in terms of what we should do. It wasn't just Ukraine where the the aid was held up. So this is Meadows coming after Gordon Sundland, the the ambassador to the EU, Donald Trump's big donor to the inauguration, big supporter, uh, made clear that his perception was that there was a quid pro quo underway. He sort of altered the record to make that clear from his previous testimony. And Mark Meadows says it's getting easier to defend the president. Can you explain why he thinks it's getting easier? I believe that Republicans like Meadows think that the more new characters that are introduced that are unknown by the public, the easier it will be to disqualify one of them and win the public argument. They're hoping that one of these people messes up or says something that's maybe a little hard to follow so that they can be disqualified. I mean, this is how Donald Trump fights and how his people, his surrogates fight. They fight dirty and expect everyone else to fight back perfectly clean. And that's the only way they can win this thing. And so now you have Adam Schiff parading out these people before the cameras. They have to play perfect ball in order to maintain their credibility. Meanwhile, you know, the big six, Pompeo, Bolton, Mulvaney, Pence, Perry, Giuliani are sitting back waiting. They don't have to say anything. They just have to hope someone else messes up. 
The big six. I like that. I'm going to steal that going forward. Do but it. is your advice for anybody that's an opponent of Donald Trump to fight dirty also? No. Okay. No, because you win. The, you you lose doing that as well. They have to play perfect ball. They have to be perfectly credible. They have to have everything fact checked. They have to go before the cameras and tell their story and withstand the fire. And these hearings are not going to be a walk in the park at all. You're going to have people like Jim Jordan. I mean, these guys were storming the skiff two weeks ago. You don't know what they're going to do. Rand Paul's talking about dragging in the Bidens in the Senate and putting them on trial. There are going to be curveballs that come. It's going to be incredibly difficult. And that's why I keep going back to the fact that the Democrats have to tell a better story. You can't just put these people up to be crash test dummies for your game. The one thing I want to tap your expertise about before I let you go is just pure, raw politics. Mm -hmm. We had an election last night in Kentucky, Mississippi, Virginia. Obviously, it it was a big night for the Democrats. A lot of the trends that we saw in 2018 about the suburbs, the kind of places that delivered the House majority to Democrats, but used to be very friendly to Republicans um, in the Trump era, continued to trend away from Republicans. Do you believe that the results last night, and I understand they're local elections, I'm not trying to overinterpret too much, changes any Republican member in the Senate or the House calculus this morning? Do they they wake up in some way this morning? I'm just wondering if you think and they look at those results and they say, you know, we are this just full embrace of Donald Trump may not maybe our only option, but it really may not be the best option like for our survival. It gives them something to think about. Um, I don't think it changes their calculus. The only thing that will change the Republican calculus in the Senate is Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell only cares about one thing, and that's remaining Senate majority leader. He will not change his tactic unless he believes that he will lose three to four Republican seats and lose his control of the Senate. Um, If he feels that he would have to cut people loose to vote for removal to maintain his status as leader, he will do that. But that is the only scenario he will do that. And I don't think he ever will, because he can go back to the Merrick Garland argument and say, we can't do anything too controversial in an election year. If the House impeaches uh, the president, so be it. The Senate will not and we'll let the voters decide. Do you think Mitch McConnell would turn on the president if he thought it was the best way to keep the Senate majority in his Absolutely. Hands? He cares much more about his political power than Donald Trump's. He's been in Washington a lot longer than Trump, and I expect that he will. Wow. There you go, folks. There's one person to watch in Washington to understand when the politics shift, according to Amanda Carpenter, and that is Mitch McConnell. Very wise words. Amanda, thank you so much for being here. Coming up next, we've got CNN's fact checker extraordinaire and uh, CNN reporter Daniel Dale right after this break. Welcome back to the Daily DC Impeachment Watch. I'm David Chalian, and I am pleased to welcome our CNN fact checker extraordinaire, Daniel Dale, to the podcast. Daniel, thanks for being here. Thank you. Uh, one of the things uh, that you picked up on uh, this week was listening to the president. I think you picked up on sort of shifting explanations of his uh, motivations in the call with Zelensky, the Ukrainian president. Uh, and shifting explanations. But I think what you really picked up on, actually, is a foreshadowing, perhaps, of 
an impeachment trial defense that he's trying to form. But tell us what you heard him say and what was different than you heard him say before. So there's a lot of shifting going on in Trump's rhetoric on all things, well, many things, Ukraine and impeachment. I thought this this one was remarkable because I counted four separate arguments in 74 words. So this was one paragraph. And he was talking uh, to reporters about how people who were on that phone call, who were listening in, sounded like people listening live, reacted to it. And so he, he started by saying, and all of those people uh, and all of those many people that listened to the phone call, why didn't they have a problem with it? Because they didn't have many people listen to calls between. I know that. For instance, the Secretary of, T- of State, Pompeo, was on the call. Nobody had. And so that, that's the first part where he's like, universal consensus. Everyone who was listening to it thought it was perfect. And then... That is not true, correct? That is that is not true. Okay. We know, you know, we have the testimony of at least one person who was on the call, Vindman, uh, who obviously had a problem. A- and we've had reporting from outlets like the Washington Post that have suggested that, you know, multiple officials who were on the call had problems. We'll wait and see who testifies of anybody. Uh, um, but then Trump continued and said, uh, after he said nobody had, he said, with all of those people, very few people that I know came forward. So we've gone from everybody to, oh, okay, maybe a very a few people had a problem. Then he said, and they only came forward when you asked. And I don't know who you was here. Like, you know, Vinman didn't testify because the media asked him. He did get a subpoena, but he said he was voluntarily testifying. And then the last... Same is true for the whistleblower complaint. The media was not... uh, The the press was not involved in asking that. There was an original whistleblower complaint. And I know the whistleblower was not on the call, but uh, he, he or she was filing a complaint based on what they had heard about people who were aware of the call. Right, exactly. And then the last part was, and some of them are never Trumpers. So Trump goes from, this is my recap, he goes from everybody was fine with it to a few people were not fine with it to, well, those few people were prodded into coming forward by whoever you were. And then, oh, they're never Trumpers anyway. So there's four arguments in 74 words. (laughs) Um, I want to ask the challenge about fact-checking him on certain, for for instance, one of the things uh, that we have heard since before the transcript was released of the call since before the whistleblower complaint was released, when it was first uh, coming to light uh, that there was um, concern about the holdup of aid and and there were rumbling. He talked about a perfect call, pitch perfect, I think, or something like that was his initial uh, response. And then every day since, or almost every day since, he has tried to describe this as a perfect call. That kind of characterization, how do you fact check something like that? I I don't fact check it per se. Like that would never be on my list of false claims. He's entitled to describe it as 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 perfect as as he wants. That's opinion. What I, I think is important though is if we as journalists are going to quote him saying something like that immediately afterwards or as soon as possible afterwards, we have to provide the context. Well, people on the call, many other people didn't disagree. Here's what the call said, and there are claims he's made about the call that are fact checkable. One of the the craziest I think is he said at least twice now that I didn't even ask Zelensky for anything. So not only was there no quid pro quo, I didn't even ask anything. And we know that there are multiple asks on that call. He asked him to investigate Biden, to speak to Giuliani and Barr, um, and to investigate the server conspiracy nonsense. So Trump is, is really trying to rewrite reality here. And there's, there's, there is a lot to fact check. I mean, the ask of the server conspiracy nonsense, as you just called it, uh, was with the language of do us a favor, though. Right. It's, so that seemed like a pretty clear ask. It's, it's very clear. And um, one thing I've tried to emphasize in going on TV and, and, and tweeting and stuff about the Ukraine story is that Trump is being comprehensively 
dishonest about this. This isn't like he's got one lie on this subject that he's going back to over and over, like, I don't know, on, on trade with China or immigration. Sometimes he has his, a, a roster of a few lies. Um, this is like almost every single individual component of the story. There's something that I can and, and have fact-checked as false. Can you give a couple examples of that yeah. beyond the 74 words there, I guess? Yeah, I mean, so the, the, uh, the biggest one, the most frequent one by far is, is his claim that the whistleblower was totally wrong. He, he's saying that over and over. The whistleblower was, was highly accurate. For some reason, he keeps changing around the timing of when Adam Schiff made his, you know, contentious or controversial comments in that committee meeting. He said, you know, Schiff uh, made those comments and I outsmarted him because I then called up Ukraine and I released the transcript. Well, the transcript was, was released the day before Schiff spoke. So it's That was lot- actually... The basis right. of Schiff's bizarre, I thought, performance yes. art. I don't know why he couldn't just read from the transcript directly. Right. But uh, that the whole basis of what he sort of recharacterized in dramatic fashion was the call transcript. Y- yes. And, and that was Trump's original complaint. He was like, why didn't you just read the thing? And then he changes it to he didn't have the thing. And I outsmarted him by releasing it later. So there, there's a lot that, that can dizzy you here because of how frequently he's shifting. And... Um, one thing that I think is interesting is that is Trump I, – I can't say he's on an island here. He has allies in his administration or whatever that will parrot some of these lies that he has said. But what you, you don't hear a ton of it from Republicans on the Hill uh, who have been arguing a ton more process than they have uh, the substance here it, it, and – have you found member? Do you do? Have you looked at any of the rhetoric coming from the Hill to see if it matches Trump or if they actually are trying to stay away from the substance? I, I think they've largely stayed away. Uh, to be honest, I have my hands so full with Trump's lies <laughs> that I don't get to delve into that many other people's lies. But um, for the most part, yeah, they are arguing um, things that they feel are more defensible, where they have the facts. Uh, to at least a slightly greater extent on their side. And they're not parroting some of the, the crazier things we're hearing from Trump. Now, you fact-checked him all through the Russia investigation as well with Bob Mueller. I'm fascinated by what you just said earlier about that he is so comprehensively lying about this. And in so many ways, um, you used immigration and trade as things that he has sort of a set lie on. That That is so intriguing to me. Did you... Did you find that in the Russia probe or did you uh, find that it was more like trade and immigration? One thing he just talked about that was false or was it also comprehensive? Well, I think on on the Mueller stuff, he had, you know, this forward thing, no collusion, no obstruction. And he just kept saying that over and over. And I, I could never fact check that as, as false. Even now, even after Mueller presented evidence of of, you know, possible obstruction. Trump is entitled to argue, you know, like as if he's making a legal defense. He can say that didn't qualify as obstruction of justice. Um, but on this story, I think because of the pace of revelations, you know, with Mueller, things came out over time through the media and other means, but there was sort of a, a dribble. This is like this crazy flood. And with each new factual revelation, Trump is saying something inaccurate about it. Daniel Dale, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate your reporting, your uh, incredibly important fact-checking. I I thank you for being here on the Daily DC Impeachment Watch. And thanks to our listeners. We've got a new episode every weeknight. Please make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, whatever your favorite podcast app is. And while you're there, leave us a rating or a comment. It really helps people find the show. We'll see you tomorrow. 